Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Welcome back to all listening to the Visegrad Inside podcast. My name is Malik Banat, and today, pretty much like any other day, we will be reflecting on the future of Europe based on our analysis, our expert voices, and the community of civil society leaders that we bring. On Wednesday, November the 30th, Visegrad Inside hosted a public discussion uh, in Brussels on the latest scenario-based report we have released earlier in autumn, where we presented four different scenarios in the context of the aftermath of Russia's war in Ukraine. The discussion involved Katalin Cech, MEP for Hungary, Eric Morris, manager of the Brussels office of the foundation Robert Schumann, and of course our chief editor Wojtek Przybilski. The question of energy security featured widely throughout our pre-Christmas debate. While the present has been defined by energy blackmail from the Kremlin, the past is seen as a very short-sighted policy of becoming overly reliant on Russian fossil fuels, whereas now the future begs the very important question of how do we move forward in a matter that acknowledges modern-day realities but also aligns with the goals outlined by the European Commission's Green and Digital Transition Vision for, for Europe. Here is an excerpt from the debate that presents a few different perspectives on the matter. I can refer to the discussion that we're having in Central European countries, as you very well know, on windfall tax. There is a less of a strategic consideration of how this is uh, going to, to help and to deliver on a citizen level. Uh, it's more about generating re revenues for the budgets. The state of uh, the state, maybe with the exception probably of the Czech Republic, to, which to a large degree has been very much advanced into implementing that and looking into opportunities to use some of the, the next generation fund to actually deliver on this topic in a, in a way of what you say, subsidiarity mechanism of, you know, you don't have to have a top-down approach because many countries and markets are, are a little bit different. But um, so on, on the first point, I would agree that, that there is a sense to win the population uh, missing very often in these different considerations, policy considerations. But there is, I think, energy cap, uh, energy price cap being discussed and decided very soon in December, so let's see where it brings us. Essentially, this is not only about, or primarily it's not about citizens uh, here, it's also about the competitiveness of the European market for investors and for in industry, without which we are basically going nowhere. And I'm not so sure about shale gas, although yes, we would be in a different place, because now saying that we would be in a different place should we have this supply and, and shale gas doesn't save us for the next immediate future. This would be just like, you know, some self-reflection debate why this decision has been made. But instead, what we have is the green investment. And if we follow and we look again into what US is doing with the Inflation Reduction Act, they're combining the two, the one that you talked about and the one which is massive, massively boosting green innovation, which to a certain extent we have now with the Green Deal. But somehow it's, it's packaged and with, with the ambition, uh, perhaps to some extent maybe overshadowing, let's see how it works in practice, the European emissions are probably we need to adjust to that and uh, not to, comp I mean, we, we are competing perhaps with the US for who, but in a good sense competing to, to do better, who does better. 
in order to be, you know, uh, really not competitive, but winning against those who are undermining us. So these countries that pretend they're not polluting like China or uh, countries that, that were willing to corrupt and, and coerce us through, through oil and gas from Russia. I, so I don't have a particular answer, but I'm not, I wouldn't be so bashing about and looking back into the policies that weren't implemented, but looking to build on, on what's got, and, and indeed looking to the United States example today in being more ambitious. And probably we, we are, as we speak, we have this discussion this week very much intensified through the German and French perspective, but overall it's about the European perspective of how do we keep investors and, and industries in, in, on the continent. I might disagree with you a little bit but also with you. Uh, <laughs> I think we have to be extremely critical uh, with the policies Europe uh, pursued for the past decade and uh, even more. And I think I even was during even this panel. Um, I think it's very important uh, to underline that we made, or like not we, but the number of member states made a number of policy choices that increased our dependence, uh, that were short-sighted, that not viable for the long run. For instance, going into North Stream to after Crimea was occupied. Like seriously, what were they thinking? That like you know Putin will stop being stop being Putin and he will like transition to be like a nice normal trading partner. And there were so many of these. And I think this is important to talk about it because we are actually falling into the same trap uh, over again with China. So who is building our 5G? Well, like isn't that the same discussion in a, in a way? So we have to be very outspoken on this. However, the response here, then I would uh, be arguing with you a little bit. I, I think that now we are in this very lucky position where uh, Europe's uh, long-term interests and short-term interests align. And these are actually aligning also with the planet's short and long-term interests. Uh, so uh, the green transition is not only an issue of sustainability for the future, but also an issue of uh, European strategic autonomy. So uh, turning down green investment, uh, I, I'm I think that would be very unwise for, for us to do. Mm. So I, I'd rather support uh, putting as much money and uh, as much uh, potential to this field as possible. In, indeed, as Wojtek said, to enable us to be a leader on this field, also for the future, but also to help uh, to solve our problems uh, in the medium term even. To try to understand why we didn't uh, have the same decision than the US. On, uh, I think first we have we Europeans compared to Americans, we probably have the, a different um, relation to the environment and also to the space. Um, you know, when fracking would, would probably f seems closer to where we live to when it happens in the middle of Colorado or Texas or something, probably. But also, I mean, the decision by the US was partly based on the, the will to get independent from the East uh, oil. So there was a geopolitical reason for that. And I would say that the geopolitical awakening of, of Europe had not happened yet when these decisions were made in, in, in the US. Now we have this geopolitical awakening, but we also have made the choice of the, the uh, climate transition. And so the, the, the exit of dependencies is linked to the climate uh, transition, which is not only a change of, of model of how we get our energy, but also how we um, go into innovation, into technological um, new tools. Um, and so it's not only a question of energy or of um, dependencies, it's also a question of a new 
economic, technological and society model which is linked to the climate transition. So I think it's too late to, to go back and say, oh, we should do fracking in Europe. Maybe we missed an opportunity at some point, even if we could argue that in the long term for the environment, it was a wise decision. But now the reasons for which we, we could uh, go backward are not um, present. Now it's um, the, the climate energy transition with uh, this industrial uh, dimension. And to come back to your first question about um, uh, how to, to, to react to, to the economic and social uh, consequences, we, we mentioned the, uh, these ideas of having some fund, EU fund, but it's important also to, to stress that we have long-term financial needs for this uh, climate and, and, um, and uh, digital transition. I think the Commission said we will need something like 500 billion a year uh, for the next decade just for the climate uh, transition. And that was before the war and uh, repower you and so on. Um, so when we look at what could be done to, uh, to address inflation, to address energy costs for, for, for Europeans, we also have to have in mind these long-term financial needs and the needs to, the needs to get uh, investors in Europe. Uh, so that leads to uh, when will we achieve the, uh, the capital market uh, union, which is very important. So I, I think it's difficult to find uh, a solution on one point because we see that we are um, taken between long-term issues that have been discussed or started to be implemented and, and short, not short-term, but um, issues linked to the consequences of the world. Uh, it's difficult to, 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 to find you know, an overall plan that would uh, lead us out of the, of the crisis, of the current crisis, and at the same time uh, achieving the, the long-term goals we set before the war, the climate and, and uh, digital transition. Once again, that was part of Visegrad Insights public events on how does this war end for Europe with Hungarian MEP Katalin Cech, Eric Morris, manager of the Brussels office at the foundation of Robert Schumann and our own editor-in-chief Wojtek Przybylski. Now I'm back real-time in Wojtek after this debate and, uh, and when we speak about solutions, it's it's important to know the extent to which everyone is on the same page. Uh, for example, on December 5th, already this Monday, the ban on the import of seaborne Russian crude oil comes into force, as well as an agreement uh, in the European Union on the maximum price of 60 US dollars per barrel. It features one of the EU's toughest sanctions yet, but notably this is an agreement that came with exemptions for uh, Hungary and the uh, to continue on the theme of Hungary. It uh, continues to receive criticism from its from its Visegrad neighbors uh, due to its um, problematic stance on Ukraine. Budapest continues to block, for example, the 18 billion uh, euro financial aid package to Ukraine. And there seems to be uh, much less of a reawakening of this geopolitical shock uh, that was discussed in the debate. Uh, so, Wojtek, um, what are the realities um, of you know Hungary's divergent position, leading to a decoupling, uh, decoupling from Hungary for countries like uh, Poland? Well, indeed, the relationship between PIS, 
the ruling government in Poland and Fidesz of Mr. Orban in Hungary might have been just uh, reaching a turning point. They were at their lowest since uh, the the invasion uh, of Russia on Ukraine in March, when Viktor Orban shamelessly uh, distanced himself from Ukraine and Ukrainians in Peril and um, called Ukraine, you know, the nameless territory, a buffer zone between Russia and Hungary that he is satisfied to keep under whatever name. That was a quote uh, he, he gave that interview to a uh, right-wing outlet in, in Hungary, in a way communicating his position also to the partners. But this position has been also known uh, for many years before, where Hungary was the uh, the country blocking uh, Ukraine's effort to uh, integrate, to move closer to Europe and uh, and NATO, under the pretext of the language law, which Hungary perceives is limiting the rights of the Hungarian minority in in Ukraine. The same law that triggered also a harsh response from the Polish government has been later kind of put aside in the relationship between Poland and Ukraine. Now, over the course of the past months, and specifically in the last weeks, uh, Hungary has been underlying that it will not agree to further support to Ukraine. Previously, previously in the first months of the invasion, it has been uh, vocally underlying that it will not allow for transportation of military equipment through its territory to to reach um, Ukraine. And very recently, during negotiations um, over the, the budget and the, the financial support of the EU towards Ukraine, especially the, uh, the uh, financial package of 18 billion euro that Ukraine is expecting uh, to, to, to receive to, uh, from the EU, Hungary said it will be blocking that, that kind of uh, package, which at the same time uh, signals that this is a negotiation token in, um, in an effort of Hungary to get the funds, the EU funds that were recently frozen, are also being decided by the Council uh, whether Hungary should uh, should uh, uh, first implement rule of law conditionally milestones or super milestones uh, um, before, before it is uh, receiving the EU uh, structural funds and the recovery funds. So this situation is um, uh, deteriorating when it comes to Hungary and uh, Ukraine relations and Hungary is using its uh, EU tokens, but also it's using NATO tokens of postponing a decision to approve Finland and Sweden as the future members of NATO. And uh, even when it is pressured against uh, against the uh, the backdrop of the last Visegrad summit, uh, uh, which took place uh, over 10 days ago uh, in Bratislava during the Slovak presidency, when the Polish and Slovak prime ministers were really making every effort possible to speak at the side of the summit to Viktor Orban and to persuade him to actually give it a green light and push for uh, Finnish and, and Swedish uh, NATO membership through a ratification in the Hungarian parliament. And Viktor Orban supposedly was succumbing to the pressure, but then later after the summit said that the decision will be taken only next year. 
Such a position of Hungarian government has been definitely taking an effect on how the closest neighbors, uh, Slovakia and Czechia, but also increasingly Poland, are positioning uh, themselves vis-a-vis Hungary. Importantly, for Poland, which is entering electoral cycle, has already been in the electoral preparations uh, for a number of months and is expecting to have elections, uh, general elections in uh, autumn 2023. It's been a matter of, of a strategic decision, whether the government that has been previously aligned to Fidesz, to the point that its leader, Mr. Kaczynski, has been pledging to install Budapest in Warsaw as a symbol of following Mr. Orban's path, is now the very same government, it is now considering to break away from Hungary and even take uh, votes in the EU Council against Hungary. So to vote with uh, the majority of the countries that would would block access of Hungary to the EU funds, not because of the rule of law conditionality, because Poland disagrees with the European Commission pressure overall, but specifically to punish Hungary and to exert pressure on Hungary, which is in um, greater need of EU funds than Poland is, to a slight extent, but still meaningful, to, to punish the government of Hungary, or at least threaten the government of Hungary with taking away their funds, and also to demonstrate to their very electorate in Poland uh, that PIS is standing on principle away from the pro-Russian policies of, uh, of Hungary and Budapest. This decision has not been taken and this decision has not been easy, definitely, for, uh, for PIS. But this consideration is now being mulled in Warsaw, in the headquarters of PIS, as Hungary, despite their uh, beliefs and their pledges, has not been aligning uh, to the Warsaw core policies on security and uh, has been only undermining Poland's position both within the EU, NATO and in the global context. So right now, PIS is ready to cut the cords, whether it will cut the cord and take this risk of on, on one side, well, it is. It remains to be seen, but definitely the discussion in, within the party is now ripe. And things may not be as seemingly stable beyond Poland and Hungary here. Um, I'd like to hear more from you about sort of regional dynamics, maybe other formats. Uh, we know that the Slavkov meeting is coming up. But also, you know, just in general, the fate of the Visegrad format. A health check on that uh, would be... Uh, Very timely indeed. And also, as we know, that the domestic politics uh, is not uh, stable within uh, much of these countries, uh, not just uh, in terms of of election cycles, but also votes of no confidence, as we expect to see in Slovakia, for example, this week. So just uh, what do you have to say more about these uh, regional ills and forms of decoupling and where might we look uh, next for uh, future uh, regional dialogue. While the relations between uh, Hungary and Poland take a downturn, uh, we can only expect that uh, without even the decision of Warsaw to decouple from Budapest during the upcoming EU voting, there will be a deteriorating relationship uh, that's that's uh, on track, just as I have been explaining in my piece in March uh, this year in Politico and in Visegrad Insight. This is the end of the Budapest-Warsaw axis. The other uh, political formats in Central Europe are growing in strength. And on one hand, we have... Um, 
Of course, we still have the Visegrad group, where Visegrad group is undermined by the strange positioning of Warsaw vis-a-vis -vis Hungary. Mm. And the, the dominant role of Budapest is still a problematic one for the remaining two partners in uh, Bratislava and in Prague. The Visegrad will definitely prevail, but the, the new formats are being tried, including the Slavkov format. And a meeting of the Slavkov format is uh, soon soon to come. And Slovak and Czech and Austrian partners who are meeting within this format are um, seemingly on, on similar page when it comes to the position also on the EU funds and voting on, on Hungary and more generally positions on economic uh, policies and more pro-European positions or pro-EU reform that are that are both uh, supported by Vienna and Prague and, and Bratislava. The vitality of that format, of course, is going to be put in the test with the voting on, on no confidence uh, to the government in, in Slovakia, as, as the format is an intergovernmental format. It doesn't have any institutional form of cooperation, unlike Visegrad uh, with its Visegrad funds and many years of common experiences, but still um, it's, it's going to be one of those ways that Slovakia and Czech Republic mitigate the risks of, of not having um, a meaningful and impactful Central European policy and addressing uh, this, this lack, this, this, uh, they're filling this void of, of Visegrad by uh, stepping into a new cooperation with, with Austria. As I mentioned, there is a no-confidence vote coming this uh, this week, uh, with with a likelihood uh, that the government will f fail to to secure uh, its continuation, and we will enter a turbulent period in Slovakia, where there is no other clear majority emerging from from the opposition parties. But uh, the opposition parties are definitely hungry for for new elections, and the main two opposition parties, uh, one led by Mr. Pellegrini, former pre uh, prime minister, and uh, before him, Mr. Pizzo, uh, Fizzo, are also looking at early elections with hopes that they will be able to circumvent the existing uh, coalition and, and make a, a new government with, uh, with the forces uh, ranging from the far left to the, the, to the far right. I mean, in Slovakia, maybe this is not far left. This is certain old post-communist left that that, that has been uh, ruling Slovakia under Mr. Fico and then transform into the leadership and a split within the party led by Mr. Pellegrini. The no-confidence vote triggered by SAS party, Libertarian Party, has been um, very much um, related to the economic turbulence that we have seen in Slovakia in the recent months because of the inflation, because of the rise of the energy prices, but also because of uh, the uh, inability of the major governing party, Olano, under Mr. Matovic to produce solid, solid policies that would answer the demands of, of many diverse coalition partners. Uh, Mr. Matovic, who, who had to take a step away from the leadership, has been still a troubling partner for SAS and other partners. And Slovakia is now probably facing a turning point uh, again, um, but uh, without the real possibility of ending the affair with early elections, unless there is a general consensus among majority of the parties to, to 
change the regulations, uh, which would allow to, to, to have it done. Meanwhile, they are disputing also the, the budget. Budgetary provisions are the main reasons for disagreements and uh, the no vote, uh, no confidence vote in the, in the parliament. And if Slovakia does not secure its uh, new budget, it will run on a provisional budget uh, throughout 2023.